Several significant government-led efforts, including President Obama's Precision Medicine Initiative, as well as the 21st Century Cures Bill that's currently in the Senate, emphasizes the importance of medical research. But what are the challenges in protecting the privacy of sensitive patient data as it is shared and used for secondary purposes, such as medical research and clinical trials? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Khalid El-Imam, an expert in data de-identification and a senior investigator at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario Research Institute. Khalid will be discussing challenges involved with proper data de-identification, especially as medical research advances. Now, for starters, why is the de-identification of data so important for patient privacy in medical research and clinical trials? And at what point does the de-identification come into play? A lot of this health data is shared for research purposes to do data analysis on it and so on. And it's shared you know, multiple times or multiple hops. So, you know, data may be collected in the context of a clinical trial. It's analyzed for the purpose of that clinical trial. And then that data may be shared further for secondary analysis. It may be pooled with data from other clinical trials. Similarly, data that's uh, collected during the provision of care, it's used to provide care, but then it, it's, it's used for secondary purposes. It may be linked with other data sets. Electronic health record data can be linked with pharmacy data, with claims data. It may be linked with non-health data, with, with education data, with social services data to do more comprehensive data analysis on that. And great things can come out of that analysis in very, very useful research, new discoveries. From a patient perspective, I think most patients would want their data to be used for research, but they're also concerned about privacy and they want to make sure that this is done in a responsible way. So de-identification allows you to do that in a responsible way by making it very difficult to associate an identity with, the, with those records, with those de-identified records. So it, it achieves both, it helps you achieve both of these objectives of being able to share the data for these great societally beneficial purposes and it meets the requirements or the expectations of the patients that data, um, is, uh, the data sharing is happening in a responsible manner and that their privacy is being protected. So now under HIPAA, there are two approaches that can be used to de-identify patient data, the safe harbor method and the expert determination method. Very briefly, the safe harbor method calls for removing 18 identifiers from patient information, including patient names, zip codes, social security numbers, and birth dates. And then the second method, expert determination, allows professionals to de-identify data based on the context for which data will be released for secondary purposes. Do you think either method is robust enough to protect the privacy of patient data? And what are the risks for re-identification? The two methods are different in their strength. So the safe harbor method, which is essentially a cookie-cutter approach, is very simple to apply, and it, it works well if its assumptions are met. In practice, its assumptions are not met most of the time. So it's a risky uh, standard to use. And the other thing about the safe harbor standard is that there's a second requirement in addition to the 18 data elements that you mentioned, that is the covered entity should have no actual knowledge that a person can be identified from the data. And the interpretation of this no actual knowledge requirement really implies that the covered entity has to do some form of uh, risk analysis or identification risk analysis on their data. And this second requirement uh, is often ignored in practice, which means that in practice the, the application 
of safe harbor is incomplete, let's say. Whereas the expert determination method or the statistical method, as it's also known, is consistent with disclosure control techniques that have been in use for, I'd say, four decades. They've been used by national statistical agencies such as the Census Bureau, for example. And these statistical methods have been developed for sharing census data. They've been in use for many years for sharing other types of data, education data, justice data, health data, census data, and so on. And they work pretty well. I mean, they're quite robust when they're applied properly. There's a large body of work on how to apply them and different techniques that can be used. And the risk from of identification from using the expert determination method would be very small when they're applied properly. And this is really the, the key thing here is that these statistical methods have to be applied properly. There are standards that are coming out now. There are now some very good guidelines that have been published over the last year or so. The training courses, there are professional certification programs for individuals that are rolling out. So these will help with the meeting the applying it properly requirement. So now, what are the biggest difficulties that you see healthcare institutions having with proper de-identification of patient information? We see organizations, these are, by organizations, I mean, there's a very broad spectrum of organizations that are sharing data for secondary purposes. I mean, they vary from providers to payers to electronic health record vendors or just health IT vendors. These may be established companies, they may be startups, and so on. So there's a broad spectrum of organizations that are doing analytics on health data and, and therefore they need to identify that data. And they also vary in, in their maturity. And by maturity, I mean really two things. One is maturity of their data business model. So they may have data, but they haven't figured out what the business model is for using that data. And that's really the first requirement. At some point, once they've figured out their business model around how to use the data, if they're going to do analytics on it, what kind of questions they're going to ask, how can they justify the investments in in this uh, data analysis and so on, then they can start dealing with the practical issues such as the identification and so on. So if they haven't figured out their business model, they really are at the early stages, you know, the early low maturity or early maturity level um, down this path. And then some other organizations that have figured it out, they're kind of one step higher. If they haven't had a data business before, they have to learn about the identification. They have to learn about uh, the different techniques, how to meet their legal obligations, how to ensure that they get high data quality. So there's a little bit of education there. And then at the next level, you have the more sophisticated organizations that have been doing data analysis for, for many years or have experience with, with analytics, and they have a data business model that, that's been successful for them. And those sophisticated organizations already have methods and processes, et cetera, uh, and they, then they're looking for efficiencies and scalability because the, the volumes of data that they're processing today are much larger than the volumes they were processing in the past. Uh, they have access to more data sets, so they're looking at integrating multiple data sources. They're looking at more real-time analysis rather than historical or batch analysis. So they're looking for scalability, for efficiency, and but they understand the, the basic issues around data identification. So, so really, this variability in maturity and the needs of organizations will vary depending on where they are on this maturity curve. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there are several U.S. initiatives and pending legislation, including the Precision Medicine Initiative and the 21st Century Cures Bill, that focus on improving medical research and collaboration so that ultimately advances are made more quickly for new medical discoveries, innovation, and treatment. What role do you see de-identification playing in these various efforts? And will de-identification become more important? 
Yes, I mean, I, I think a lot of these efforts are pushing for greater access to, to data and using data to accelerate research. And by that, I mean getting access to more data, being access to more, being able to integrate more data from multiple sources. So all of these are great things. Under the existing legal framework, in order to do so, uh, data identification is a key part of that infrastructure, of, of the workflows that need to be put in place. Uh, data identification is, is essential because it will allow the, the organizations doing this to, to meet their legal obligations. Some of the efforts that are ongoing right now, uh, for example, 20% Secures Act, are, are proposing uh, changes to FIPA, especially around the, the privacy rule. And some of these changes would be, are not necessarily going to help increase access to data, and they may have unintended consequences. So, for example, uh, one of the provisions in 21st century cures is the defining uh, research as a primary purpose, essentially, for using data. So it means that data can be used for research purposes without authorization of the patient uh, and without uh, de-identification. So this will allow uh, a lot more data, to, uh, personal health information, to be shared with researchers, which can be in different organizations, external organizations, uh, which may be in, uh, in companies without any de-identification being required. And as a privacy person, to me, this is a huge red flag because it will allow a large amount of PHI to be floating around with very few controls that we have become accustomed to uh, being put in place. And, you know, despite all the controls that we've become accustomed to, we hear about breaches all the time. So if you loosen the controls, I think it's very dangerous, very risky. The flip side of this is we can actually share a lot of data under the existing legal framework through de-identification. So right now, if you want to get access to data for research purposes, you would be able to, with an IRB approval, of course, you'd be able to de-identify the data and get access to it. So I think the, the plan should be to increase the adoption of the identification methods and improve the education around how to do the proper de-identification to get more access to data rather than loosening the rules around the sharing of personal protected health information, which, which I think is moving things in a dangerous direction from a privacy perspective. Exactly the same benefits for research can be achieved by having better identification in these workflows. So if the 21st century bill proposals that changes the HIPAA privacy rule is enacted, does that mean that data will no longer need to be de-identified for secondary purposes? Well, I mean, there are a couple of things. Um, research is not the only secondary purpose. There are a lot of commercial purposes as well, which arguably are, are much more extensive than research. So research is only a one part of the ecosystem around secondary applications of health data. And for the purposes of research, we'll have IRBs that need to review the protocols and make decisions. But if the regulation allows the sharing of PHI, then that creates less incentives for IRBs to require data to be de-identified, although they may still do so. I mean, this is an empirical question, and we'll see if those changes go through as they're defined now. Uh, we'll see how IRBs adjust their criteria uh, moving forward. So they may still require uh, de-identification to be put in place. So, But in practice, I mean, some will allow data to be shared without de-identification for research purposes. And we'll see if this provision makes it through the Senate and, and you know, how it's implemented and so on. Again, the, the, there are a lot of uncertainties there. It's an empirical question about how this will play out. But anyway, research is only one component. So for uh, non-research purposes, de-identification would still be required. And it's not just for clinical trials. I mean, clinical trials are, usually, are with consent. 
So, so the patients are consented and they agree to have their data collected for, for the purpose of the trial. So I think clinical trials are a little bit different. Here we're talking about research on data that has been collected for the provision of care, and so there is no authorization or consent being sought for the patients to use it for research purposes. And very briefly, are there any advances on the horizon when it comes to data de-identification methods or technologies? There are always advances. It's a very active area of of research and technological development. There are new algorithms, new privacy models being developed and being tested, uh, new techniques to deal with big data, so in terms of scale, and then new ways to to measure the risk of identification for new types of data. So, for example, there's active work on protecting genomic data. So there are a lot of new methods being developed and being applied in practice. It's, It's a very active area of research. Thanks, Khaled. I've been speaking to Dr. Khaled El-Imam. I'm Marian Kobasak-Begee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.